You're listening to episode six of Undervalued. Our guest today is Michael Frendo. Michael holds a PhD in electrical engineering from McMaster University in Hamilton, Canada. He has had a long career at technology companies such as Polycom, Cisco, Juniper, and McData. Currently, Michael is the CTO at Journey AI. The creation of a unique zero-knowledge identity management system is at the center of a number of innovations that Journey plans to bring to market. We're so excited to have Michael with us today. All right, we're so lucky today to have Michael Frendo, one of the most gender intelligent guys I've known in my career. And we've known each other quite a long time. We have. Right? Um, I was lucky enough to have Michael as one of my customers when he was running engineering at McData. And I guess I'd love to kick it off um, first thanking you for being here, but also if you could tell us a little bit about your career path. Sure. So I'm a, I'm a career geek, and, <laughs> that, and I'm proud of it. I started my career uh, with Bell Northern Research, which is a telecom company. been in telecom one way or another ever since. Very early on my career, I, I was uh, leading a team. Um, Bell Northern Research, Northern Telecom, uh, was, was a pretty good company from the perspective of gen- some gender diversity. We're talking you know, 30 years ago, so <laughs> uh, it was a little more rare back then, but still still uh, some evidence of it. Uh, I went moved to Silicon Valley in uh, 1995, spent 10 years at Cisco, uh, where all you did really was run very fast, as fast as you could for as long as you could. Oh yes. my gosh. I, I went to McData after that. That's where I met Wendy and, and ran the engineering organization there. It's a bit different when you're responsible for everything. You get, uh, you get a slightly different perspective on things as well. I think it makes you, uh, makes you mature a little bit as an individual and maybe open your eyes a little bit around around diversity and other things. Uh, after that, I, I went to Juniper for a couple of years, uh, spent about a year and a half at Avaya, and four years at Infinera. So you can see I've done a lot of different t- uh, technologies, which uh, is really in line with being a geek. And I spent the last four years at, uh, at Polycom uh, running engineering for them. Uh, and since then, since about January, I finally you know decided to dive into the startup world doing something around uh, protecting people's identities, which I think is a very important thing. Oh, yeah, that is neat. Yeah, it's exciting with uh, what you're going to be working on next. I think what I've loved the most about getting to know you, Michael, is I've never seen anyone actually just live your values and people are important the way you have in your career. It has been one of those things that made me always think, I hope I get to work with you one day. You know, I think I've been very fortunate in that. In that, you know, I, I grew up in a family with seven children. Um, four, four of uh, four of them were uh, women. Uh, my older sister was really the trailblazer for our family, in that I think she led us all through. You know, going into going to college, going to university. Um, all seven of us ended up doing that. I don't know if any of us would have ended up doing that if she hadn't set that example. Was she oh, the wow. oldest? She was the oldest. Yeah, but a year and four months older than me. Interesting. And I, you know, I think that sort of set the tone. I mean, uh, you know, look at my family. I, I've got two sisters that are doctors and two that are teachers. Uh, one's a superintendent of schools right now. The other one's a vice principal. 
So, you know, very impressive family. I've got, uh, I've got awesome, (laughs) I've got got awesome, diverse examples to live by. Wow. That's fabulous. And you do have daughters. I have three daughters. No sons. No sons. (laughs) So you are surrounded by women. I have a female dog. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like my dad, all girls. You handle it well though. Well, you know, I think, uh, I I had good training for my sisters. That's great. Yeah, I'd love to get to meet her one day because she sounds like just a badass. They all are. I mean, they've all they've all made uh, you know done important things, and they've all given back a lot as well. So that's great. Yeah. Why do you think you the rest of your siblings wouldn't have maybe gone to school if she hadn't? Well, no one in my family in either side had ever gone to university. Oh so, wow! So and then s- all seven of you did. All seven of us, and, and I would amazing. say probably about 95% of my cousins as well. But we're the oldest, so wow. we, you know, we kind of set, set, the, set the example for it. Well, really, my sister set the example for it. I, I, I didn't even think about university as a possibility. And it's really just that my sister sort of, of course, of course we can do that, right? Wow. That's fabulous. And we don't talk about this much in regular conversation sitting around at a bar on a happy hour, but <laughs> um, is gender inclusiveness important to you? I think I know the answer to this, but I'd love to hear yours. Well, it is because I've seen, I've seen what can happen when it's not there with people I care about, right? Um, gender inclusiveness, I, I mean, we're, we are, you know, we're all in this together and, and, all, and all deserve to be treated I think uh, equally with equal opportunity, um, and and when I see I've seen firsthand uh, people I care about not be treated that way, it it has an impact, right? What's it one really of the does. examples that you could remember? Uh, you know, my sister, who's a vice principal, for example. I mean, I, I saw her treated terribly in in uh, in a summer job that she was in, where you know, and I and I saw people she was working with who were male get treated differently, right? Get more opportunity. Than she did. Than she did. And, and you know, I mean, I may be a little biased, but I think the, cap- um, the capabilities of my family are, they're all very capable people and they deserve whatever opportunities, uh, whatever opportunities are available, they, they, they should have an opportunity to strive for them. And yeah, it, it's also partly that I think we also grew up in, you know, in the, when I was young, we didn't live in the, we lived in, we had a modest means. I mean, we were a fairly modest family. My father uh, was, you know, a factory worker and he moved up to be a tool and die maker and eventually became general foreman. But, you know, that's not where things started. And, you know, it was a time when, as my parents were immigrants, they got treated a bit differently. And so it wasn't just a, it wasn't just a gender thing. I mean, well, I got to see what it, what it means for people to not get treated fairly uh for a lot of other reasons it's not it's not just the gender obviously the gender thing is huge because it's half the population but but it's but it's more than that right it's 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 any underrepresented group absolutely any any group that's treated differently or treated unfairly unfairly just because they're not the same you know right now you're um you're ethnically diverse well, I'm uh, what's called Maltese. It's a very small. Maltese, it's a small, <laughs> right? It's a very small island in the Mediterranean, and yes, I guess ethnically. When I was younger, it was more pronounced because I grew up with a little bit of an accent because my sure. parents had an accent, even though I was born in Canada. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely some aspects of. I mean, do you? F- this is going to be a crazy question, which we may <laughs> edit out. Um, is, do you feel like a white male? 
more than I used to. Uh, and 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 it's it's because I'm treated more like a white male than I used to. It's used to be. It's it's interesting. How are you because... treated as a white male? Can you explain that to <laughs> two women who will never be white males? <laughs> well, I think there. I think there are some women at my company that are treated very like when they reach a certain point and they're so well established and well respected, and they have that nobody's gonna mess with me attitude. Is that what it means to you? Kind of. When okay, you, interesting. If, when you get to a certain spot and everyone that you're working with respects you and you never feel like you have to work any harder than anybody else to be heard. I think there's women that get to that place in their companies. Yeah, but do you really, should you really have to have a don't mess with me attitude? No, not (laughs) at all, which is what... That's an unfair bar, right? No, exactly. That's what Wendy and I talked about the first episode because I had an incident in my work where my uh, HR lady that I was talking to said that she didn't really understand where I was coming from because she's always had a don't mess with me attitude. So she's always been able to yeah. shut people down. And I had the exact same response. I'm like, should you have, have to, to have that? You shouldn't. No. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I'll, let me um, expand on the on the white male thing. Please. Just a second, uh, for a second. I, I think that um, whether it's it's fair or unfair, the reality is that there's always, there always tends to be a kind of a hierarchy. Um, and when I was younger... Uh, because I had a bit of an accent, because it was small, for a whole bunch of reasons, I was probably lower on that hierarchy. And the lower on that hierarchy you are, the more that you get treated uh, differently and sometimes unfairly. And I think that as the years have gone by, and partly because we've, I hate to say it this way, we've got new people to pick on, or there are new people to pick on. <gasps> wow. Um, no, I mean, seriously. That's a great way to think of it, though. Look, I, I look, I look at... Growing up, I was very aware of this because because I was affected by it. And when you're affected by something, you become more sensitive to it. Right. It's only natural, right? So when I when I looked at the waves of people that moved uh, into the city I grew up in, um, the next wave always got treated. They always end up being lower on the totem pole, right? And so by just the very nature of having someone lower on the totem pole, you kind of got moved up. Right. And so I look at the generations of people in, that moved to, to where I grew up, which is St. Catharines, Ontario. And, you know, first there was a huge wave of, of Polish immigrants, and they got treated badly. And then there was a huge wave of Italian immigrants, and suddenly the Polish immigrants were treated better because the Italian immigrants, they could, pick, they could treat them badly. And then there was, you know, a wave of, of uh, not, not that many, but Maltese immigrants who usually got confused for almost everything else. But, and then, you know, some of them got treated badly. And then... You had, you know, had waves of immigrants from Asia, and and they, you know, successively got treated badly. And as you go over over time, you know, the next the next round comes in, and the people who are there, sadly, take a step up. And that's unfortunately wow. the way it is. And I think I don't think it's all that different, um, you know, anywhere. I think I mean I don't think that's all that different. I think that's kind of human nature. You create this, you create this hierarchy, this totem, and the newest folks get put at the bottom of it. And the people who've been there for a little while can benefit from that because now there's somebody, you know, who's treated who's treated worse than them, and that's that's a sad comment on the on human nature. But unfortunately, I, I don't think it's completely untrue. <laughs> and wow. a- and applicable to the wave of women that are entering Ab- tech. Absolutely, it's it's the 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 analogy's right there. And over time, you know, uh, we'll pick another wave of someone else to pick on, and and hopefully, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, yeah. ma- well maybe and us oh, women will be more empathetic. <laughs> yeah, you think? Well, I hope so, right? Because because the it is it is kind of brutal, right? And and it's unfair. Exactly. Um, so you know, sexism is this common buzzword, and all with all the sexual discrimination, but even this um, the gender bias that's out there, right? Um, do you think? that women in business are still experiencing, especially in tech, we're, we're all, all in the tech realm. Um, do you think there's still as much sexism there? As much as, I, I wouldn't say there as, is as much because I do think it's getting better. I think it's getting better and it's getting better slowly, but I do think there's still sexism there, absolutely. I still think that women are in the minority uh, in tech and for that reason get treated differently. You know, there, there's absolutely no reason why there shouldn't be as many women working in tech as men. They're, they're just as smart. I can tell you, I have sisters that are smarter than me. Um, so, so it's not a question of capability. Then what is it? Uh, well, I, I think part of it is, is the stereotypical way that, that women are treated going all the way back to middle school, right? Mm. I mean, you're not expected to go and take a full, you know, bunch of science courses and math courses and... You start, you, you start getting steered away from tech very, very early as a woman, even today. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and it, it's, it's there in the numbers. It's all in the numbers. You look at the numbers of women that are you know, taking uh, computer science or math and sciences in, 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 uh, in high school, and, and you find there's an interesting diversity because you know, men are taking physics and women are taking biology. And it's very, very hard once you get past that, get into college, for women to really play a role in tech, you have to go back and fix it very, very early on. And, and interestingly enough, you know, you look at some other professions, they're doing better, right? Medicine's doing better. Exactly. Well, we have a lot of women who take science go into biology. So in medicine, certainly in certain schools, um, uh, there's actually more women than men now graduating as doctors. There's plenty of schools where there's more women than men graduating as lawyers, right? And that's you got to go back because they, you know, they they're getting in, getting you know onto a path to those professions earlier on, and that's not happening in tech. So you got to start it early. You got to start it early, and you know, I went back to uh, my alma mater, and we were talking about the fact that the number of women in computer science s- since I was there has gone down. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> this is a trend. When, when, when I it's was, a, it's a sad trend. You know, Why? When, when I was an undergraduate in computer science. Uh, 30% of my class was female. That and, seems good for that time. And, well, now it's five or three. Oh, no, my goodness. No, it's that bad. It's gotten that bad. And, wow. And, you know, they, they're like, well, you know, what are we going to do to fix this? I said, well, you got to go to the middle school. You got to go to the yep. middle schools. You got to go to, the, you know, seventh and eighth graders. You got to get to people before they get to high school and start giving them role models and talking about why they should do this and, you know, appraise them. And maybe, you know, maybe also maybe teaching the courses a little bit differently because... Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think it, technology applies to everything, right? It really does apply to everything. But I don't think it's it's positioned mm-hmm. that way in early education. Right? Mm-hmm. That the technology tends to be, you know, there's a focus on games because of those That's games. That's what I was just going to say. Video on, games. You know, there's a focus on these things that that men are more interested in than 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 women at a young age. I don't know why. It just is that case. And you know, it's not like you can't say. You know, I'm never going to tell you that men and women are exactly the same. God, it would be awful if they were, right? Exactly. Um, you know, uh, and, and you know, we can see the difference of what happens when, uh, 
when things get turned on their head, right? We, I mean, Iceland is a wonderful example of a country where the men screwed it up and the women are fixing it, right? And they've taken mm-hmm. control of government, exactly. of government there. And just, if you don't believe, just go look at the numbers. Look at what happened during the banking crisis, who was in charge, how badly that country, country how much trouble they were in. Tremendous. That country was close to bankruptcy. And it's kind of interesting because things got turned on their head. Women became far more powerful in government. And honestly, they saved the country, right? That happened, right? You know, you need different perspectives and different views and different ways of doing things. And we suffer from doing things the same way all the time. And I think, I think if you want to fix it in tech, you, you, can't, you can't just say, well, you know, go hire more women. Exactly. In tech, because if they're not, it's not like you can train and become a, an engineer um, overnight. It takes, mm-hmm. it takes years and years of training. So you have to go back to when that training happens. It's not that people can't go back and learn, but how many people do? It's hard. Mm-hmm. So what would you learn. tell a parent who has a daughter and a son, you know, and how to hopefully, what kind of advice would you give so that we, if every parent did that, we might get them involved earlier or interested earlier? Well, I think I think that there's still a tendency for girls to spend more time with their moms and boys to spend more time with their dads. I think that in and of itself is, is a shame. Mm-hmm. And I had the, I was fortunate that I had three daughters and I had no choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I can tell you two of my daughters took auto shop. They took wood shop. They, I mean, I think they did it mostly to keep me happy, <laughs> but it changed. I mean, they're not, they, they, they're more capable and complete because of that. Yeah. I mean, they, they just are. I mean, my, my, my daughter wanted a new hardwood floor in her basement, so she just did it, right? That's kick-ass. Yes. <laughs> that is awesome. Know, and, and I have a, you know, that's my oldest daughter and my youngest daughter. And they don't shy away from that stuff. It's, yeah. there's, there's no, this is a man's thing to do and this is a woman's thing to do with them. Mainly because, you know, growing up, they, they spent, probably spent more time with me because I was naturally going to spend more time with them because I had daughters. Right. Right. So I do think, you know, to parents is you have to cross-pollinate yourself. I mean, you have to take the time to, to take a close look at what you're doing. And if the father's spending all the time with the boys and the mother's spending all the time with the girls, you, you've inherently created a problem already. Right. I'll never forget my son said, um, Mom, I can't get this toy fixed. We'll wait till Dad gets home. I said, oh, hell, we won't. <laughs> I didn't say the hell part, but I said, no, we're going to figure it out ourselves. And you should. Right. Then that's, that's I, awesome. I mean, stereotypes start very early. And, and if you're going to break stereotypical behavior and perspective, you got to start very early. And, and the more diverse and capable our kids are, the more successful they'll be. Totally. And I it, love it. Right? it, go, it you know, you, you, there's no reason why a guy who's going away to school shouldn't be able to do his own laundry. Right. <laughs> and, and yet you find you know, it's, it's not it's not that hard to do right but just like oh i've never done that before and or it's it's not something i'm supposed to do of course you're supposed to do it you're not supposed to go out and stink right you're supposed to <laughs> yeah. smell good in your clothes i mean come on right it's not it's not that hard um but that you know the the, the breaking of of stereotypical behavior uh, benefits both ways sure yeah. absolutely and i think the men that ronnie is around are a lot more um integrating the gender roles don't you think i mean it worked but no you're like oh my dad no like your significant other oh your partner. i think it's your boyfriend right <laughs> yes yes i mean he he does everything 
right? Oh, Grocery yeah. shopping, oh, cooking. Oh, he does do everything. <laughs> he does the shopping. He cleans. I cook a lot of the time, but yeah, whenever he leaves, the house is a mess. He's the one that's like clean and reminds me to. I mean, I think it's a. Yeah, I think totally the, gender roles the gender roles are getting better that way. I I have two son-in-laws and they're they're both great. I mean, they they're both clean around the house. They both, and with the kids, because you've got grandkids. Both awesome with the kids. I mean, you know, they're. It gives me hope. I can tell you, they're way better than I was. <laughs> And, and I'm glad to see it. I, it's I not difficult. No, I can't even count the number of times I've been out with, with my daughter and my son-in-law and, and my grandson. And he'll take he'll take my grandson into the, the restroom to change his diaper. And there's no change table in the restroom. Oh, there's a change my table goodness. In the wind. Talk is, about gender is, inequality. I didn't even yeah. think about this that. This is today yeah. in Colorado, right? I mean, you yeah. go to, to there's a lot of restaurants. They that, assume the woman's changing yeah. the child. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, even in our progressive state, we have, we were talking about the sexism, but what advice would you give someone's going through that? Cause women sometimes blame themselves and I'm sure you've had so many opportunities in your career as, um, a leader to have women going through some of this in your own organizations. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, and I'm happy to say that, um, several times in my career, I've had women come to talk to me about it. Oh, that wow. means that and you're approachable. That really does. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think part part of it's just the need to talk to somebody. But part of it is, you know, if if you're hearing, if someone feels that way, uh, the worst thing to, that I think you can, you can do, and we do this all the time, it's the service people. It's like, oh, it's not as bad as you think, or, oh, you're exaggerating. Oh, it's not that big a deal. Or Is there a it, chance you're overly sensitive? That's what I got. That's oh, what you work. Yeah, that's you know, it's <laughs> another way of saying exactly the same thing. And, and, I, and I think that when the first thing you need to do is, uh, you know, it's, it's find, find an understanding ear. Mm. Uh, it doesn't, and, it, and it, it shouldn't matter whether it's a man or a woman uh, if it's an understanding ear. It shouldn't. It does sometimes, but it shouldn't. It right? would matter to me if it was a man was understanding it would even mean more to me it no, would I, mean more to me also so so I, I hear that and I think that's I think that's great uh, what I'm saying but what I'm trying to say is that uh, if you're in a situation like that the f- most important thing to do is find an understanding here a lot of people sit there and nod their heads mm-hmm. but they're only hearing what they want to hear uh, maybe you're just being sensitive is, is, is the biggest cop out of all and I've heard it many times in, in different forms and so I think that's the, fir- the first piece is to listen. And the second piece is then to, you know, dig a little. Because if that's happening, uh, if, you're, if your workplace is, you know, is uncomfortable, and I'm trying to stay away from harsher words, then, you know, it's not good for anybody. Right? It's, not, it's, it's not good for anyone from a product- productivity perspective, from an ability to work together perspective. Most of what we do, certainly in, the, you know, the businesses that, that I'm in, uh, no one person can make it happen. I mean, it is about a team. It is about a number of people contributing to a common cause. And if there's tension for whatever reason, uh, you, you know, I think it pays. Look, even if you don't feel comfortable doing it or you don't feel like you should have to do it, the fact of the matter is from a business perspective, it's still the better thing to do. Creating a, har- a harmonious workplace where people get along and trust each other is good for business, mm-hmm. right? So take away all the factors that are just as important around just human interaction and people treating each other fairly. Mm-hmm. It's good for business, right? right? You should do it because it's good for good. It's just because it's good good for business, if for no other reason. You should do it for all the other reasons too, mm-hmm. right? 
Uh, I'm not trying to say they aren't important. They are important. But you know, sometimes some people think business is the only thing that drives them, and you're going to find people like that. So fine, it's good for business. Right? Look at the statistics again. Go back to companies that are successful and how successful they are based on diversity, more successful, like I said. And, and, and that's, that's reason enough to dig and find out what's going on and try to create a, uh, you know, a working environment where everyone is comfortable and, can, and feels like they can contribute you know, in, in a way that they're rewarded for properly and that they're not at risk. Right? Because fundamentally, I mean, we still have a situation where right, women are at risk. Right? They are. They are, right? It's a reality. I worry about my daughters all the time. Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, because that's, that's unfortunately reality. So creating an environment where that, that feeling of being at risk goes away can only be good for everybody. Totally. Do you think men are worried about working closely with women or socializing with them the way they do with their, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. Do you think they're ever worried about that? Yeah, I think they are. I mean, I think that there's always going to be, um, a feeling of being falsely accused of something. Ah. Um, it's happened to me. That has happened to me. I, I, I found out about it long, long after the fact. Wow. Uh, long after the fact? Oh, yeah. Long after the fact. I mean, We're it talking months? Maybe even years. It was probably even a couple of years oh that I found God. out that, some, that, that somebody who was working for me had told people that I, I was interested. I mean, it, it, but I, and I found out from, uh, from, uh, from a woman who was a good friend of mine. Uh, at the gym one day she said oh yeah she just brought it up and and I went you know and she she just assumed I knew and I was in total shock and I said and so this was like she said a lot of people knew about it and and I was really really hurt I mean really hurt because first of all it was you know wrong which which doesn't help but then, you know, and so, yes, are men worried about, about things like that? Sure, they are. It is only, again, I think it's human nature that when the pendulum swings, and it is swinging hard back right now, it's going to swing too far. But that's getting to equilibrium is never easy. It's been so far the other way for so long, right? And, and all the stuff that's come out in the last couple of years is so shocking. And, and we're still, you know, it's still in a he said she said situation the woman the woman is still still at a disadvantage the majority of the time so the pendulum's going to swing hard because i mean the, the amount of abuse that's gone on has gone on for so yeah. so long completely unchecked wow. so my mac mike pence um said was very public i think about uh, the comedy made about not having dinner or lunch alone with a woman Yep. Except for his wife. Exactly. How do you feel about that in business? That seems extreme. That, that's that's <laughs> extreme. Very conservative. It's, yes. It's very. It's it's extremely it, extremely extreme. Uh, <laughs> to use that word. Um, it's sad, in my opinion. I mean, it is sad that, it's, and it says more about the person who feels that way than about anyone else, in my opinion, right? It is a, it's a sad commentary, in my opinion, but not a sad commentary on women, a sad yeah. commentary on Mike Pence. Well, and I did, I remember I, I took our, one of our lead 
architects on a trip with me and we sat down on the airplane and he said, you know, my wife was worried about me coming on the trip with you. And I went, why? What have you said to your wife that even made her worry? And it really, it made me uncomfortable. And right. yeah, I would imagine. And I just, it was but, one of those situations. But he doesn't have to say anything to his wife. Okay. His wife has in the United States, 170 million bad examples to go by. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm saying in a lighthearted way, but it's not untrue, right? That the, the fact is, you know, men have behaved badly for centuries. And to expect that suddenly everyone's going to think, oh, well, you know, the, the, the switch has flipped, everything's okay now. It's not going to be that way. And, and again, what we're seeing with some of the very high-profile stuff that's been happening in the last couple of years, um, you know, it's clear that when we thought well, we may have thought a problem was largely solved, and it hasn't been. Right. It's 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 is it on the right track? Are people's attitudes better than they used to be? You know, is there at least a fundamental belief that it's wrong? Yes. Is it still happening? Yes. Yes. Right. Hmm. And when when I look. Like I said the pendulum's going to swing, and and yes, you know what? There are men that are going to be uncomfortable, myself included, because the pendulum is swinging. But you mm-hmm. know what? It's just too bad. I mean, you know, I I'm I don't feel sorry for myself because of it. I feel like you know what? It's just a phase we're going to have to go through because that's where you, how you get to equilibrium. You don't get there by just swinging the pendulum back to the middle. It's going to go swing too far the other way, and eventually we'll get to a good place. If it never swings too far the other way, we will never get to a good place. Exactly. What an interesting way to put that. So let's turn it a little, shift a little bit here. Um, I love, the one thing I love about how you approach your work is with the passion you've got. Can you tell me about a time when passion you remember so distinctly has driven you in a career direction? And I'd really like to get to what advice do you have for others finding their passion? So I'd say the best example I can give you happened long before I actually started working. It actually happened while I was in college. So uh, I already said, you know, told, told a story about how my sister kind of blazed the trail and we all went to university and my sister was going to be a doctor. Of course. I had no clue what I wanted to do because I had never thought about it. So when people asked the question, it was like, well, my sister's going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. <laughs> because, That's because, just how it's going to be. No, because when I was growing up, I mean, those, were the, those, those, were, those two, were the two, two professions, options. right? Those yes. were the two things. You're either a doctor or a lawyer. If you were a doctor or a lawyer, then... You were successful. Yes. Right. That was the definition of success. That was the definition of success. Of success. In our, our baby boomer, yeah. not the millennial, yeah. but yeah. That was, so that just was put yourself ba- in our older shoes, okay. more wise shoes, I'll put it that way. That was, the ba- <laughs> that was the baby boomer dream. That was the parent's dream of the baby boomers, yeah. that their kids would either be doctors or lawyers, all of them, right? Maybe that's why I have so many lawyers. But <laughs> um, And so I went through undergrad planning to go into law school, and uh, I continued to... I ended up in, in computers because I had a lot of math and science, and they said, you know what, uh, having somebody in law who has an understanding of technology is probably a, not a bad combination. Hmm. So I thought, okay, I'll just keep on going down this path. And when I was in my third year undergrad, I applied for law school because that's what I said I was going to do. <laughs> uh, and I was accepted into law school. And in uh, April of that year, when we were doing our final exams, 
uh, a third year law student ran into my car. Oh no. That's what happened. So I, I go out and it's my dad's car. And oh it's brand no. New, and it's brand new and it's got a long crease along one door. Oh jeez. And I go to, I go to the campus security and I tell them about it and they go and pull this person out of, out of class. Uh, eventually, after I threatened to call the city police, which they didn't want me to do. And, and the first words out of this third-year law student's mouth were, oh, I'm not accepting any liability. <laughs> and I'm like, what? what? <laughs> well, I don't believe that actually happened. I had somebody watching. There's no way I did this. And the, the campus security guy said, look, I went and looked, and your car was parked like an inch and a half away, and the bumper has paint on it. You did this. Oh, well, I'm not, I don't want to go through the insurance. And... Yeah, just to give you a sense, it was $125 damage. Wow. Oh then in those days, that was, you know, a long but time. But it was the principle but, but, for him. But, and, and so, I, you know, I, I kind of, five or six weeks later, I got the 125 bucks and fixed the, fixed the crease on the car and thought, is that who I really want to be? <laughs> You're like, yeah, that guy's guy. in law school. He's an asshole. Yeah. yeah. Is that what I really want to be? Is that what being a lawyer is right and and did i ever actually take a step back and think about like first of all i really love what i'm doing right right? i like computer science i like being a geek i like i like what i'm doing and it's funny because i'd never thought of that as a long-term profession but it was my passion Mm -hmm. right and it took somebody doing something like that to open up my eyes and say oh you know what this is what i want to do and it's interesting because I, I attended class differently after that. I was, I never thought of this as going to be, this is going to be my life. This until, is life altering right? car accident. Right. <laughs> and this, this, but, but all the forks in the road are like that, right? It is so all, true. All of the forks in the road are these little tiny decisions you make that completely change your, 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 the course of your life. Yeah. And they're the opportunities for you where, where you act, you know, it's always a place where you're forced to take a step back and think about what do I really want here? And then to decide to be all in. That's the other cool part. And you so, were all in. So I finished computer science, went into electrical engineering, got a PhD in that. I mean, it, it's, I went so much the other way. It was, <laughs> but it was that moment where I took a step, you know, was forced to take a step step back and really say, is this what I really want to do? Well, everyone in college is in that mindset when they first start. Uh, I was at least, I said I was going to do it. So I guess I will. That's kind of just what you, See, my my sister was a bad example because she (laughs) was 12 and said she was going to be a doctor. Oh yeah. That she, she got on that path at 12 and she never, ever strayed from it. There are people like that. That's true. But I think most people just say, well, I said, I'll do it. I guess I'll do it until they make little decisions. And think how you and I got together mm-hmm. and I started mentoring you. Mm-hmm. She had a, a, a degree at CU in biochemical engineering. And she said, I don't want to be in a lab. I said, you don't have to. And she said, what do you mean? What, you know, what else? I said, let's talk about what you loved in school. And she started talking about Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> and this financial analysis she was doing for a project. And I went, you can do that. And she said, what, what are those people? You know, we started looking at business yep. analysts and yeah. I mean, it was amazing. And that's the little piece of thing that sometimes we get, especially type A kids and sometimes pleasers. Um, I'm a recovering pleaser, by the way. Um, <laughs> we, we just get set on a, on a direction and it's hard to take a step back. And you hadn't even thought about what it would mean to be a lawyer. So yeah. I, I love that. So, and, and, and what it made me do was think about, well, 
you know, what, what do I really like to do? And is it possible? And this is a question everyone should always ask themselves. Is it possible that what you do for a living can, can be what you want to be? Not just what you do, but that your passion and your hobby and your business and your life are all, all the same, the same thing, thing. Oh, right? wow. And, and that is, that's a rare, rare thing. But I, I was very lucky to stumble into it. And that's I really, awesome. truly stumbled into it. And, but you've had moments where you have not been as happy as other moments. Well, of course. I mean, I think, I think when I've been parts of many large organizations and sometimes, you know, the, the, um, characteristics of people and their nature is not about just building something cool. Sometimes it's about building themselves and, and what's the next step for me as opposed to what's the next it's step. It's an ego me. trap. It's, it's a bit of egoism. It's a bit of narcissism. It's a okay. bit of, you know, I want to be successful at any cost. It's just about being successful and nothing else. And, and I think that, you know, the joy goes out of it then. Because mm. now you're working with somebody where it's not because it's their passion. It's because they can be successful at it. And they measure their success by, you know, how much, you know, how, how high they get as opposed to how good they get. And I think there's a big, big difference between those two things. <laughs> and uh, fr frankly, what I've noticed about people who are driven almost entirely by the desire to get to a certain level is that they're really never happy. Never. Right. It's because it's never enough. If they ever reach that goal, it's like, OK, well, it's the next one. Right. And they never get there because they ne they're never measuring it based on their enjoyment of doing the job. They're only measuring it based on what the job will get them next. It's a sad situation because I don't believe people like that are really ever happy. I really don't think they are. Because like I said, in many of those situations, you get to that place and you're not happy because, OK, what's next? Right. If more people were so self-aware, we'd have happier workplaces. I have one last question I've got to ask. Have you ever been the only man in the room? Well, yeah. And gotten to I'm experience that? I'm the only man that? in the room at home. Oh, that's <laughs> true. I meant in your professional environment so that you could understand what it's like to be the only something in the room. Yeah, I probably not. I, I have to be honest, I, I think probably not. That's not, crazy that's, that you can go through your whole career and never experience that. Mm -hmm. That like blows my mind because Isn't it? that's like every day. It's well, going yeah, wild. And, and that, I picked a profession that's mainly male. Yeah, right. right. And, well, and I didn't pick it for that reason, but. And I had an opportunity. Uh, we had a, at AT&T, we had a women in AT&T conference. And so it's 5,000 women from all over the uh company and since I was a, a manager I would go every year and ask at least one of the men that reported to me I want you to come to this conference and they say oh, but why would I do that I'd be the only man in the room <laughs> and I jokingly look at him like well, I don't know why you'd ever want that since I've never had that in my whole life you know you're big doofus right <laughs> it was just that oh bless your heart you don't even get it and it was the the men that went said just going to the coffee station was uncomfortable for me because it was all women. And I went, what a gift you've had. Now you can tell me thank you. <laughs> now you can tell me thank you. <laughs> I, but, I have been invited to talk to all women's groups. Like, I suppose I have. How was that? How'd that feel? Well, you're probably talking to so many women right now. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I have been invited by to, to speak to women's groups regarding many of the same topics we're talking about today sure. and 
that was I didn't really find it a problem. But then you again, didn't feel it intimidating or anything. Well, they invited me to talk, so that's good. <laughs> they were okay with point. me. I, I could be okay with them, right? I mean, it's it's probably different when you're invited, though. It that yeah. I was just going to say that makes a big difference. Different, right? I do think being invited is different. Yeah. Which is why inclusion and diversity is so much, is inviting other people into the conversation, inviting them to the table, the executive table. It is something about that. Are we going to do our segments? Yes. Uh, I'd love that. (laughs) So We always do the news last so we can end on a positive note because sometimes the studies are a little bit of a bummer. (laughs) Exactly. But this study is actually positive. Oh, good. It's, it's, It's interesting and it's, it, the headlines are why fathers of daughters vote for gender equality. Which is you. So It's me, absolutely. <laughs> research shows that men who have daughters, and even more specifically, men who have firstborn daughters, vote for gender equality. The data suggests that having a firstborn daughter makes men more open to progressive, inclusive solutions to social and political problems and more willing to give credence to the idea that representation matters. In other words, diversity is a beneficial thing, right? The cutting-edge research on dad voters comes largely courtesy (laughs) of Jill Greenlee, an associate professor of politics at at Brandeis University. So um, I have this theory that only 20, well, the research shows 25% of companies have a gender equality initiative or strategy or something. And I keep thinking that why is it those 25%? And I think it's CEOs with daughters. Whoa. So that'd be something to look into. Or, or, yeah. or maybe CEOs that are women. Ooh. Yeah. But since there's more CEOs named John than women CEOs, maybe not. Isn't that a fun fact? <laughs> yeah, that's not what you needed to hear, is it? Uh, but but I, I had heard it before. Okay, it, good. It's pretty sad. Yes. <laughs> Last time I go, is that true, Wendy? Goes, yes, I have the graphic. <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounded so baby boomer, didn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sometimes we are a little bit um, biased age-wise, right? Yep. So um, do you believe this? Do you think having daughters has made you more kinder, gentler, well, I think it started with my sisters. Supportive but, of, but, okay. But I'm, I'm sure the daughters had something to do with it too. Absolutely. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Are they geeks too? My daughters? Yeah. Actually, no. My, well, I have a daughter who has a PhD in neuroscience. Okay. That's pretty geeky. Another <laughs> one who's got a degree in um, environmental science and she's actually, she works in uh, brand marketing. Oh, okay. And then my the third daughter actually has a degree in cognitive science, and she's uh, she teaches uh, uh, children with learning disabilities. Oh wow, awesome! No, which is to me, it's the, I just don't help. I, I, it amazes me how she does that job because it's such a hard job. Yeah. Oh, it's such a hard job. Talk about a passionate it's individual. Hard, yeah. So you have so much to be proud of. And I am. And over over any slacker son you could have had, I'm just teasing. <laughs> You would have had a great son, too. <laughs> okay, let's get to your news, positive news. I thought that since the State of the Union address last night had a nice little moment where the record number of women serving in Congress were applauded and recognized, that we would do a little flashback election news about 
these fabulous ladies and all of the firsts that they accomplished. I love it. Okay. According to the New York Times, 2019's Congress is going to look more like America than ever. All right. Well, there's 116 women elected in the U.S. midterm elections on November 6th, 2018. 95 to the House, 12 to the Senate, 9 new governors, and 42 women of color were elected. Deb Holland of New Mexico and Sharice Davids of Kansas were the first Native American women elected to Congress. And Sharice Davids is the first lesbian woman from Kansas elected to Congress. Sylvia Garcia and Veronica Escobar are the first Latinas elected to Congress out of Texas, which I thought that was crazy. There's never been a Latina congresswoman out of Texas. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the youngest woman ever elected to Congress. Uh, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar from Michigan and Minnesota were the first Muslim women elected to Congress. Wow. I saw them interviewed there. One of them. I saw Omar interviewed. She's, she's sharp. That's awesome. It's amazing. She, she got, she's Minnesota, right? Uh, yep. Yeah. She, she got elected in, it's just, it's really amazing. 78% of the vote. You're showing a lot of, um, impressive knowledge over there, Michael. (laughs) Isn't he? Yeah. Because I want someone to save the country and count on women. (laughs) Just like Iceland. Worked in Iceland. It It could work here. I agree. 78% of the vote. When does that happen even? Never. Right. Wow. Except this one time in in an exception. Just exceptional. Well, her running mate could have been just a dud. Plenty of duds that got elected. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Wendy. Uh, We have Marsha Blackburn, who's Tennessee's first female senator. Christy Noam is South Dakota's first female governor. Janet Mills is the first female governor of Maine. Letitia James, this is my favorite one I have. This is, she got the trifecta. Is the first woman in New York to be elected as attorney general, the first African-American woman to be elected to statewide office, and the first black person ever to serve as attorney general amazing not awesome that's awesome she'll be on the podcast one day oh that's a great idea that would be amazing well this is all fabulous news yeah thank you for letting us leave on a high note of course you get to do it next time so i like it i'll bring the depressing uh study (laughs) (laughs) yeah the voice of reason over there Mm -hmm. let's not get too excited well, um, we're going to end the podcast. Thank you again, Michael, for being here. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you so much. Over and out. Till next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Undervalued. If you want to follow us in other ways, we're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Undervalued the Podcast. We'd love to hear from you via email. Email us your questions, stories, if you need advice, things like that. Our email is undervaluedthepodcast at gmail.com. Also, please check out our website, which is undervaluedthepodcast.com. And if you like what you heard, please rate us so that others can find us and get as encouraged as you've been, hopefully, this episode. And if you really loved us, feel free to donate at our donation page, which is 
patreon.com slash undervalue the podcast. Thanks for listening. This episode was brought to you by Corporate Cowgirl Up. Thanks to Corporate Cowgirl Up for supporting us.